0: Like, I have a reputation among my friends that, like, if there's something you want to do and you want someone to do it with, Emmy's the one that's crazy enough. So I had a girlfriend that she had this bucket list that she wanted to do bodybuilding. She wanted to run a marathon. She wanted to do an Ironman. And so she runs this marathon with her friend. And then she says to me, you got to do an Ironman with me. I've only, you know, I said, I barely swim. I can maybe cycle four miles and I'm the max I'm running right now is like four to six miles she goes yeah but you're doing all three so you could do an Ironman you're the only friend I know who's like crazy enough to do an Ironman for our 50th birthday a couple of friends and I went and ran our first 50k and then like I'm the one that they call to say hey you know I'm going to Holland tomorrow let's go buy a horse
1: Cause I was, I was just half listening. You know, you listen to some podcasts, you're, you're half listening to the you think, Well, I know her. I'll just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, I know Emmy. I'll listen to her on the podcast. I like Paul. I like Emmy. And then this story comes on I'm like, what, wait, what did she just, did she just say that? Cause, uh, cause I think at that time as well, you, you were, you were still looking for another job. I, I think when uh, I was, I was listening to that and I kind of knew, oh, she's in investing or something like that. Um, and you're telling all these crazy stories and then there's the the bodybuilding thing as as well so you decided to do bodybuilding and you've done dressage and ultra marathons and marathons do you ever stop this is the this is the beginning do you do you you ever stop
0: (laughs) i never stop why would i stop i'm gonna stop when i'm dead
1: where does it come from though? Because I, I feel the same. I, I'm, I'm very yeah. much the same. I, I, I don't really, I don't know if you relate to this. I don't really watch TV. I don't really watch Netflix. I'm, I'm kind of always doing something that I want to do. And when I find a thing that I want to do, I, I get obsessed with it. And then I just do it to the, the nth degree until it doesn't become interesting anymore. Then I move on to the next thing. <laughs> Is that kind of what it's like for you?
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's just pulling on a string of curiosity for my whole life. Yeah. And for me, I like to be really organized, not so that I can be rigid, but so I can be flexible. And so I can be spontaneous. And so I keep my life very, I mean, as much as all the things I do, I keep my life as simple as possible. I don't have a car. I don't have a television yeah. so that like, Last weekend, I was just visiting friends in San Diego, and my girlfriend said, "Do you want to come to the Netherlands tomorrow? Because I want I want an opinion on buying a horse." <laughs> and I have my life organized enough that I could just drive to San Francisco, get my passport, hop on a plane, twenty four hours later.
1: But with but with the with the bodybuilding thing, you you know you, you competed in bodybuilding most normal people would just say oh well i'm interested in bodybuilding maybe i'll maybe i'll just do it for a bit they wouldn't go to the next level and try to compete at it so what what takes you from just wanting to do a thing to competing against other people to see if you're one of the best
0: i think well i think it's one of these things where you you for for me once i did one thing well I realized how little effort it takes to do another thing well. Yeah. And so instead of just kind of dabbling, if you just do 10% more, you're going to be in the top 1%. And that's different than, so, you know, it's different to be, say I was ninth in the World Cup trials in 2005, which is what in dressage. It's very different to be ninth than it is to be the top three and make it to the team and medal in the Olympics. But to, to kind of be in the top 10 or 20 in the country, is it's actually not that hard because so many people just kind of give up.
1: What's not so that hard instance, though? What's not that hard though?
0: Because you've got a base, you've got a base. And then you use mental models, like meta-mental. Mo- I use men- like meta-mental models to figure out <laughs> what are the few things that I need to do to get there? So to get specific in bodybuilding, um, I was already working out, you know, I was going to the gym three times a week um, with a trainer, but not seven times a week, right? Three times a week. And then I was running eight to 12 miles a day and I do yoga. So I just kind of have a loop. I'd wake up, I'd run to the gym. Um, so that would be like an, maybe a six to eight mile run work out at the gym and then I'd run two more miles to yoga, do my yoga workout and run home. And so then that was kind of three to four times a week and then the other times I'd just go do a long run or something. So that was already happening and um and at the time I was doing quite a bit of running because I was kind of curious about doing um 50 k's at altitude (laughs) and so i signed up for a whole bunch of them like at 4,000 feet i signed up for all the like yosemite jackson hole all the ones that were going through um just like mountains and stuff it just seemed like fun so i thought i'd do that for the spring and i was at the time i was 51 years old and so at 51 you got to kind of be careful with getting injured and so i was pretty religious about Tuesdays I always did sprints and Monday Thursdays I did hill repeats my sprints start going really fast and this literally is going to bodybuilding so my sprints start going well and I think well (laughs) I'm only going to be fast once here because you know I'm 51 it's not like I'm going to get faster uh and I was timing it and it was pretty close to um what my age group was doing, you know, nationwide. So I thought, well, okay, that's, you know, I could do some training and get a little bit better. And this is like, you know, I was within spitting distance, right? Just on my own. And so I thought if I specialize a little bit, get a trainer, I could do a sprint competition. And I look and there's the U.S. Masters Championship, which is coming up in five weeks. And I thought, yeah, it seems like enough time. And then I went on one of these websites like Fiverr or whatever to get help um, and hired a uh, high school track coach to teach me to run off blocks. And then the next day I thought, well, you know, I'm already going to the U.S. Masters Championship. Granted, it's in San Diego where I was living at the time, so it wasn't like a big effort. But I thought, I'm already going, I should go on the website and see what other sports they have. Maybe I could do them. <laughs> you know? Maybe some other running or whatever. And they didn't have any other interesting runs, but they had bodybuilding. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm already doing more volume for my legs to, to kind of like come off the blocks. So it's like 85% overlap with the workout, you know, with the weight workout. So why not amortize that and try bodybuilding? Um, And I called up my friend who'd done it and who'd done bodybuilding. I'd never done bodybuilding never even considered it actually. I just thought it, I just saw it on the website and, um, And I said, you know, and my trainer was like, you need three months. You need to like really build and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't really care if I win anyway. You know, I just kind of think it's fun to do it. And I talked to my friend and she said, it's all about showing your muscles. You already have a base. You just need to like diet and then specialize your workout. So I went back to my trainer and said, we're doing five weeks. (laughs) And, uh, you know, she said, five weeks is fine. My, my friend. So I went back to my trainer and then we just shifted my workouts so that I would do say like 200 leg presses. So we, I, he, he basically said you can do super heavy, but you risk injury or you can do like massive reps and either one is going to build volume. Um, and so we just went with massive reps cause I didn't want to risk injury at age 51. Um, and that was pretty you know then I asked him who I should hire anybody else and he said, you need a pose coach to like teach you you know do this, do the, you know do the different, do the different poses And then I called the organizer and asked what I could sign up for and he said, well, you've never done anything so you could sign up for all of it. And I as a finance person I thought great because I can amortize my spray tans and my hairdo and everything over more times on the stage. So I signed up for bikini figure and physique, and then I signed up for age group, open, amateur, (laughs) everything. And I just kept going out on the stage. Uh, Yeah. And the postcode said you'd never seen anyone sign up for all three divisions Uh, because you need a different body type, but I figured... I didn't really stand a chance in any of them, so why not do all
1: of them? And you just thought, why not, right? Pretty much. Yeah, it's it, it interests me because I, I started doing jujitsu a few years ago, and there, there's kind of two people who do jujitsu. There's people who just go to classes and and do jujitsu. It's same as any sport, really. And then there's the people who compete and there's often kind of two streams of people as well when when you you go to classes there's the people who never compete and then there's the the people they've got a competition coming up so they're working hard or they're working together in, in a different part it kind of creates two streams and i i always thought the same i i started doing jiu jitsu again because why not <laughs> i just i just i just saw it and thought oh, it's quite cool And I started doing it, got obsessed with it, and then ended up doing it six times a week, three hours a night or something like that. And then I thought, well, why not compete? Why not? Because anybody can compete. Anybody can just turn up. There's no levels to it or anything, especially not at national or local and things like that. So I started competing for the same kind of reasons. But some people don't ever try that kind of thing. Some people never try to compete and some people never want to do public speaking for example because they think that they're afraid of it but the the truth is that they're afraid of it because they've never done public speaking and they're afraid of competing because they've never competed the the majority of the time and i wondered if you got any opinions on on, on that were you ever not this person i know i know i was i i was wasn't <sighs> always like this
0: yeah. So I think, I think there's two things, right? So for me, there's just showing up and competing. And I've done that in horses since I can remember, since I was 13 years old, mm-hmm. but there it was a highly stressful thing for me because um, like I didn't feel valued at home. Like I, I just didn't feel valued in my, my home life. And so I would take that into the competition arena and I would basically do nearly a perfect test. And then right at the last minute, I would just do some little mistake to get second because I didn't feel like I was a winner. So I never felt that I deserved to win. So even if I was lining up to win, I would do something to sabotage myself and I had, I had two major things that happened in horseback riding. One was when I was, when I was 18, I kept, then the horse was going better and better. I had trained him so well that it was almost destined to win. So then I would go off course. Like I was really, I'm finally my trainer before I went into this. um, It was a, for the, it was a tryout for both the junior Olympics and the Pan American games. And I was ranked like third in California at the time. And I think I was 18 and she she grabs my collar. Now it wouldn't even be allowed with safe sport rules, but she pulls me half off the horse and goes, if you go off course, so help me God, I'll kill you myself. And then she goes, okay, now go in the test. And, um, and, then, I, and then I won. And that was my first taste of like, it's okay to win and it's fun to win. And, um, and then I went off to get uh, team gold in the junior Olympics. But I still had this kind of nagging thing and then later then I focused on my career a bunch and just kind of had horseback riding in the background and later I was successful at a hedge fund and was able to buy a really nice horse and then I had this trainer who believed in me more than any trainer had and he took me to Europe for his he was basically getting ready for the Olympics <laughs> and he took me to Europe yeah. where most other trainers would just go to Europe and get ready for the Olympics. And he took his amateur to Europe because he believed in me so much. And those two things made me feel valued. And like I was worthy of winning. Mm. And once that happened, I stopped sabotaging myself and realized that there's just such, there is, it's once you're doing it all the time for fun, just adding that and going into a competition, there's so few people that do it. So if you think about the percentage of people that post on LinkedIn is 1%. So the moment you do one post, you're in the top 1%. Mm. The moment you enter a competition you're already in the top 1% because you're, you're bold enough to do that. And then if you can do the work where you're okay, or even enjoying being a winner, then you're golden.
1: It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It, it, I've got, I've got friends like that. I I even said to one of my friends the other day, uh, he he was telling me some things and I I just messaged him back and just said, self-sabotage. You, you know, you, you're doing it because you, for whatever reason, you think you shouldn't do it. You, you you're not worthy of it. Um, I talked a lot about this on one of the other podcasts I did recently with Chris Williamson. Uh, and 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 for for me, for the longest time, it was because of the kind of the area that I was brought up in. Um, cl- class isn't such a big thing in, in America, but in in the UK, depending on where you're born, you can almost never escape it. You you are destined to be whatever your parents was or whatever your friends was, and often a lot a lot of people, at least in the UK, self sabotage the way, in that way. They may have ambition, but they never dare say it. Uh, and and if they did have the ambition, they they'd they'd just get ridiculed by the friends, so they'd end up the ambition would end up going going down. But often. I don't see that with a lot of Americans and particularly other places in the world as well. It's interesting. The self-sabotage thing, it's tough to break out of. And I know some of my friends that in the thirties, they still haven't broke out of it yet.
0: I don't, I don't think I've broken out of it. Like with every single new thing I do, I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> You know, I, I create a course and then I'm just like, well, maybe no one's going to buy the course. And I was just saying to myself the other day, I don't think anyone's ever going to buy my stress course because it's it's not niche enough. It's not like how to do this. And literally the next day someone bought it. So, um, you know, I think I think I think we call it different things. I, I think a lot of us call it imposter syndrome. But it's the same thing. It's like not being willing to think. You know, why not me?
1: It, it it's just the mental game, isn't it? Yeah. And I I don't think that ever that ever goes away. That is a constant battle for for everybody in any arena. No matter how yeah. much it, no matter how much experience you've got or otherwise, there'll be days where you feel endlessly confident, and there'll be days where you feel. Like the worst person in the world, and why am I doing this? That is just, just, just the way that it is. But I think probably the thing that separates some people from others, and why some people keep pushing, is they they learn to maybe dampen that voice a little bit, or they they learn to realize that that isn't me. You know, I've done this before; I can do it again. Whereas some people don't have the ability to do that and rightly or wrongly it's a tough one how much of it or you can
0: just lower the stakes yeah so i mean for instance when so i got the call um i'd been riding dressage for years and um trying to make the team or trying to get close to the team i don't know that i would think i was making the team but i wanted to be in the top 12 and go to the kind of the final bake-off each year and things like that and one year i got so sick and the the rules for the for the federation equestrian international for all these international rules you can't take any drugs Mm. and um and the once you've entered a competition you can't just not show up you'll get fined so I, had, so I had the flu with 104 fever and I was not allowed to take drugs and I was not allowed to not ride. I had to ride. And so I'm, I'm like on this horse in the baking sun in Florida with 104 fever. I like I wasn't thinking at all. I was just like. Trainer, tell me what to do. And that ride, because I was so relaxed and just doing what my trainer said and not overthinking and not self-sabotaging. I mean, there was just no opportunity. I was just trying to get it over with. Um, That ride catapulted, it gave me such a high score that it catapulted me to ninth in the US. Um, And then I got a call from the team that, hey, you've qualified for the final kind of 12 for the trials for the World Cup team for 2005, which is gonna be in Vegas. Um, And there was only two of us that were amateurs that had qualified. Everybody else was like a professional horse trainer with their horses cost like four times what mine cost. So I called my friend who was the other amateur that qualified and I said, oh, this is a joke. I mean, there's no way, you know, there's no way that anything's gonna happen. We shouldn't even go. And she goes, any, what are you kidding me she goes we gotta go and show them that you know middle-aged women who have other jobs can do this too <laughs> so i said all right let's go and we flew our horses from florida to los angeles and competed and had a great time and one of the things is like even at that i, I I worked a full-time job. I was running $6 billion for Oppenheimer funds. So I had, and I'd been competing a bunch. So now I needed to go work a bunch. So I couldn't even ride my horse the month before that competition. I had to just ship him out there, have someone else ride him and hope for the best. So when I got there, I thought, well, I can't really expect much of this horse because I haven't even been on him in a month. I haven't even ridden a horse in a month. So I just said, let's just do what we know how to do at home. Let's just like do what we, you know, it's the same arena. It's the same test we've been doing for years. Let's just do that. And that ended up being one of my best tests ever. So my two tests, best tests ever were 104 fever, not able to think. And the other one was like, I can't have any expectations for this because I haven't ridden in a month. Those were my two tests, two best competitions. And it was the same with bodybuilding and track and field. It's like, well, I haven't been doing this. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to go out and wing it. Um, Granted, I, you know, I had the trainers and everything like that. But in terms of like not being tense and not, not having, I mean, who's, who are you kidding with imposter syndrome? I definitely didn't belong there in any of these situations, but I just kind of thought, well, I'll just show up, relax and, you know, have a fun time. When i Um, in bodybuilding, no one showed up for physiques. Everyone, there was no 1%. I was the only one. So (laughs) I ended up in winning North American champion for 2017 for women of all ages.
1: (laughs) Did you get a nice medal?
0: I I actually have a plaque.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I got a ton of like gold and silver and bronze medals for all the other, for the, for the different competitions that were there. But then for the for the uh physique, I also won the whole overall thing for north america yeah
1: it's funny you say the the thing about um kind of not overthinking and it, because you have the flu you you literally couldn't think so you just you just got going on instinct literally on instinct when I was talking to Nick Winkleman on a couple of episodes ago he he's one of the um he's the i can't remember his exact job title but he works for the irish lions uh in in sports performance, mindset performance or, or something around that. Uh, and a lot of the time when I was talking to him, we were talking about this idea of thinking versus not thinking and overthinking. Uh, and he was saying uh, every time the uh, the athletes perform worse when they overthink. And it's it's his job a lot of the time to try and stop them from thinking, to just do and to just be in the moment and be present. And when I said the term be present to him – his eyes lit up because you know you know that that's exactly what it is i i think back to all the times when i've done sports and things like that as soon as you start thinking about any of it you've lost really haven't you because you're half a second behind everybody else as soon as you're not working on just pure instinct and just the reactions that you've built up from drilling and practicing and things like that you're already half a second behind everybody else so Uh, Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that that was the result. Even though you you felt like terrible, you you didn't have the capacity to think, literally. Yeah. So you and
0: second guess myself or second guess my trainer. And I think the pieces also. You we're a very disembodied society, all of us. You know, we're all on the internet. We're all using our brains, which is great. But we're using our brains by shutting off all the signals from our bodies. And I I have so many friends that are like, you're so lucky that you're so aware of what's happening in your body. So I think the other piece is when you're doing any kind of competition, uh, even if it's the stock market, like even if it's something super intellectual, why would you turn off the intelligence of the rest of your body to just use your brain?
1: I, I agree is why, if I get the choice between, how can I put this? If I get the choice between an analog experience versus a digital experience, in almost anything in my life, I'll choose the analog one. So for example, a real book versus a Kindle book. Even though a Kindle book, and I do have Kindle books and I use it a lot, even though a Kindle is more efficient uh you can highlight things easier it goes into my read wise all that kind of thing you're disembodied from the experience and there's just something more of a whole body experience when you start reading a real book and even silly things like i, I don't have an apple watch i wear an analog mechanical watch J- just because it connects you to the experience and I I think now as we get more and more into this crazy digital world that we're in NFTs crypto you know everybody building personal brands online and hev- everybody having the ability to have one we need to remind ourselves of that even more than ever I, I think because I I do often think sometimes because I know I was there we're on the we're on the precipice sometimes of losing that if if we're not careful we can go too deep into the metaverse and it's hard to come back out the other side.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just feel a lot of people talk about kind of dopamine versus serotonin and having this like balanced chemistry in your brain. 95% of our serotonin receptors are in our gut. And that just tells you, you know, not everything. I mean, you, you, you just shut off so much of so that's shutting off your satisfaction if you just use your brain. Because your satisfaction neuroreceptors are in your gut, not in your brain.
1: So I assume you don't just mean gut as in food, right?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean gut as in food. 95% of your serotonin receptors are in your intestines.
1: Okay. so So if you eat a bad diet that a lot of that gets shut off, gets shut off basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you eat, like, if you eat a bunch of processed foods, you get inflammation of the gut and then you're less likely to be satisfied in your life. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. But again, it goes to the, it goes back to the embodiment, right. And, and that not everything can be solved in your brain. You need to move, you need sun, you need relaxation. Yeah. You need to be in the analog world.
1: it's 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 crazy as well that most of this has already been solved you know thousands of years ago yeah
0: exactly you read
1: read like any classic philosopher or things like that and you you read about how they used to think and walk and things and most of their ideas came from walking for three hours a day uh we already know all this we already know how to eat right the majority of us I, i think instinctually know what is a good and a bad food we already know that we should be walking. We are, we definitely know we should be exercising, but some of us choose not to do it. Uh, and I don't know. I don't really know why that is.
0: I can't understand it. I mean, there's there's a like. You were given this body. Why not use it?
1: Yeah, I I understand it to some extent because I I was that person. Uh, probably about seven or eight years ago, I, I was incredibly overweight. Uh, I was working myself to death as a designer, running my own agency. I wasn't exercising. I was incredibly unfit. I was, you know, eat, eating whatever I wanted to, and you, 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 you kind of just get caught in a loop, and, and and the longer you stay in the loop, the harder it is to break out of that for example, when I did eventually start exercising, I chose to start running. I didn't know anything about diet or exercise or anything. So I chose to start running because it, it I don't know, it's, it's just a, th- a thing you pick, isn't it? Uh, and I could run half a mile. Sometimes I couldn't even run half a mile and my chest was absolutely killing me. I thought I was going to die. Um, and th- that is, it's not like taking a first step. It, I know I, I chose a very difficult way to start exercising, um, but it's hard. It, well, it's inertia, isn't it? It's hard to move when you're not already moving. So I, I, I was I stuck at it and I eventually lost weight and got fit and blah, 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 blah. But I can completely understand how you get stuck in that loop because it is so difficult to go from zero to 0. 0.0001 when you have no base level of fitness or understanding or whatever. I, I had to reprogram my entire being, essentially. I had to understand what healthy food was versus not. I had to understand nutrition, exercise, everything. That was a hard, hard process. And even now, seven years later, I, I wouldn't say I'm at the end of it, but I I underst- I understand everything now. But it's hard and it's even harder, especially when I had like many, 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 many people out there, a a knowledge based job. I was a designer. I was sat down for 8, 10, you know, 11, 12, 13 hours some some days. And no wonder when I started looking at it that, you know, my 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 base metabolic rate, the amount of calories I was consuming for anybody who might not know what that is was incredibly low because I wasn't doing anything <laughs> uh, <laughs> even now I'm I'm six foot tall 200 pounds 190 pounds something like that my uh, I, I lift weights four four times a week walk every day bike nearly every day I do a lot of exercise even now I can really only eat 2000 2400 calories maybe before I put weight on because even now I'm I'm re I still sit down a lot, so it's it's hard to understand all that, and especially if you're just looking for a quick fix, like a lot of us are. Um, how do you even get to the bottom of that? How do you reprogram yourself? You know, it's tough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I and I I think we're actually programmed for homeostasis. So we're programmed to stay the same. Yes. Because like, if if you think about our ancestors, they really focused on just getting food and surviving the night
1: survival. Yeah.
0: And so anything that goes away from getting food and surviving the night is like really going to, you're going to feel a lot of procrastination because that's like procrastination is a survival instinct. That's, it's not like a bad thing. It's just like a survival instinct that's built into us.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So
0: um, yeah, I, I created, I created this, this little app um, in January that has every, every exercise in it, every like little like meal meditation, all this self care stuff. Um, it has a lot of my exercises that I used to do during the week when I was working 180 to hundred hours and like competing with Olympia against Olympians on the weekends, but I only had like 10 or 12 minutes to do a weight workout or something. Right. And so I have all those workouts in my, in my app. And the, and then after I built it, I mean, I've just been doing that just cause I never had time. And so I was just always kind of fitting stuff in. Um, And I kept having people ask me about, well, what would you do with this, or what you know, what food, or what what workout. And so finally, I just kind of created an app that's free forever um, that people can use. That everything in the app is under ten minutes. And then I started thinking, well, is there really actually something to this? And what it is is, if you say to yourself, "I'm going to go out and." you know, whatever, I read the doctor say you got to exercise 30 minutes a day, get started, you're probably going to be sore. And you're probably going to be like, Oh, can I really afford the 30 minutes? Right. But when I say to you, Hey, Craig, there's something new you should try. And it takes less than 10 minutes. There's less resistance because you're just like, and so it actually kind of like, gets under that barrier of procrastination. Because you're just like, oh, you know, 10 minutes. I, I had this girlfriend when we were on a Zoom call and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to run like you. But, you know, then I had this, you know, divorce and my kids and it's all like a hard story. And, you know, and now I'm living with my mother, with my two teenage kids. And one of them has some mental issues and, you know, on and on and on and how busy she is, um, which is all like true and hard. And I just said do you have any shoes around you? And she's like, yeah, I've got some tennis shoes. And I said, well, why don't you just hop off the zoom call and go run around the block for 10 minutes and then hop back on the zoom call. Um, cause I'm like, do you have 10 minutes? And she's like, sure. And she just went and did that. And she's been running ever since it's been like two and a half years. Yeah. And so I think, I think there's really something to, I, I mean, I just kind of, I was on a, like on a, this, I created this, um, kind of workshop called peak performance, <laughs> all these for corporations and everybody on it was overwhelmed. They're like, Oh my God, you know, I can barely get, I can barely get everything done today. And at some point during the workshop, I'm like, Oh, you know, we all have 10 minutes and people are emailing me like, yes, I have 10 minutes too. And so then I just created like a little app to help people with procrastination, basically just, just like slipping it in Um, but then it was just total luck that that's what I had been doing when I had no time, but then I it was total luck that later I kind of researched and it was like, oh, wow, this actually works to, uh, circumvent procrastination.
1: It's it's the same thing I do, not in exercise, but the same way that I appear to get so much more done than everybody else is that I, I do small bits of it regularly daily if possible then you never you never you're never too far away from the next time that you do it so it's always fresh in your mind and ultimately you get more reps in it as well and then ultimately you build a habit up and then eventually you become the person that does x don't you and and then you can't be stopped if you if you become a runner for example say that, that that takes three to five months to become A runner and I'm using air quotes there then if you have to take a a week off because because you're ill or whatever you'll just go straight back to running but if in the initial stage you have to stop for some reason and you haven't built the habit up you'll just quit won't you so I I I do exactly the same thing and it seems to be a recurring theme around a lot of self-development books about habits and things like that the 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 smaller and more regularly you can make the habit the more it sticks. Uh, that's the only thing I've ever found that works for me. And also for me as well, I have to fill my days up with things because if I don't, I get nothing done. I, I get more done when I'm very busy. I get less done when I've only got one thing to do in a day. I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, totally. I'll just procrastinate until bloody midnight if I've got one thing to do. But if I've got 30 things to do in a day... I'll be like, boom, done, boom, done, boom, done, boom, done. I, I don't know what that is. Maybe maybe that's a character flaw in me. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it may just be going back to the survival instinct, right? If you've got to get it done, you've got to get it done. But the moment you don't have an urgency, then your body goes back into procrastination for survival.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's that. Because I, I think when I read your your story about working hundred hour weeks and, and still competing in dressage and, and, and still doing all these other things. I totally understood that. I didn't look at it and think, God, how does she get that done? I looked at that and thought, I couldn't completely understand how she did it because that's probably the only way I'd be able to do it. Cause it, cause I, I was, I was doing the same thing with jujitsu. Like I said, I was training three, four hours a night, six days a week and then still still running the agency and fitting other things around it it it's the only way that works for me when i fill up fill up my day with lots of things does anybody ever tell you to slow down do you get that a lot
0: not anymore <laughs> <laughs> when- when I was in college, people would tell me something about balance uh, that I needed more balance and, and I kind of took it to heart. So I thought, okay, because at the, at the time, um, like my parents had bought me a nice horse in in high school and it turned out not to be a nice horse. And then when we (laughs) had to sell them for far less than we bought them for my parents were like, we're done. You're, you're on your own. And so at that, and they figured, okay I'd already been riding maybe an hour a day and so they figured I'd just give it up but instead I got a job as like a, a as like a horse trainer and all that kind of stuff and so I was riding horses 60 hours a week and then going to college at the same time and um and so people were saying oh you know you need to have balance and so I like thought okay I will try to just ride like 30 hours a week, you know, take my work down. I didn't really want to go to school. I just took the midterms and finals in school, so I didn't have to do that. So then I had a bunch of extra time, and then I would just, like, go home and watch TV at the end of the day and do, like, what normal people did. I was totally miserable. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I have tried this. This is not for me. (laughs) I think I made it, like, three weeks, and I was like, this is the worst kind of life. I just, you know, some people live it, but it's just not for me. That was that was my last attempt at balance, and I think I was 17
1: or 18. Yeah. I, I've had a few of those stages in my life. I, I used to get the same. You need to slow down. You need to do less. You work too much. You make yourself busy. That's the one that my girlfriend used to tell me all the time. Um, they don't say it so much anymore, but I've always wondered in me where it came from, and I, I don't really know the answer. I've always wondered – you know, my parents, they work normal jobs. They, they're just the normal people, like you like were ju- just discussing, just an average person. They watch TV. They don't do things all the time. And I always wonder, well, is it genetic? Is it genetic? This obsession with always wanting to do more. There's always more things to see. There's always more ways to improve. There's always more things to do. And not necessarily in a in a way that you want to you want to get better it's not a perfection thing it's a it's a curiosity thing like you said it's a curiosity thing there's always just more to see and more to do so why would it be any other way i don't know where that comes from in me it certainly doesn't come from my parents have you got any idea
0: well my mother was an extremely curious person so yeah. um but i i think it's something that can be turned on And so for me, it's been the various influences of my life that showed me the power of curiosity. And then once I saw it, like I'm done and then, then I get a reputation. So (laughs) I, I, I have, I have one friend, like I have a reputation among my friends that like, if there's something you want to do and you want someone to do it with, like, Emmy's the one that's crazy enough. So I had a girlfriend that that had a. Um, this is the same one that I just went to Holland and bought a horse with last week. She bought the horse, not me. But uh, she, you know, so she she had this bucket list that she wanted to do, kind of in her mid thirties, of like she wanted to um, act in a in a uh, movie. She wanted to be the lead role in a movie. She wanted to. Um, Do bodybuilding. She wanted to run a marathon. She wanted to do an Ironman, and so she runs this marathon with her friend. And then she says to me, "You got to do an Ironman with me." And I'm like, "Well, what about the friend that just ran the marathon?" Because I'm like, "I'm only, I'm only, you know," I said, "I barely swim. I can maybe cycle four miles, and I'm the max I'm running right now is like four to six miles." She goes, yeah, but you're doing all three. So you could do an Ironman. You're the only friend I know who's like crazy enough to do an Ironman. She's like my marathon friend. There's no way. And um, yeah. So then like for our, for our 50th birthday, a couple of friends and I went and ran our first 50 K and then like, I'm the one that they call to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to Holland tomorrow. Let's go buy a horse. So you just, I start to get this reputation where, uh, yeah, my one girlfriend just said, Hey, you know, we, we don't want to get, we don't want to like get older or sunset into old age. And we did that 50 K when we were 50, but now we're 55. I'm like, yeah, let's do another. So I signed up for a 50 K like the, it's the ninth hardest in the U S um, for, uh, January of next year, uh, when I'll be like 55 and a half. Yeah. So I think that's the thing is like once a few people turn on that curiosity then you get known for that and then everyone when they want to do something new and interesting you're the first person they call.
1: What about just doing 55k at 55 and 56k at 56 and just keep increasing?
0: Oh don't tempt me. <laughs> don't tempt. My first 50k I was so pissed because you know 50k's they're all um trail runs, right? And so they're not like exact it's like when the, the loop comes around. Yeah. And so it was only 30 miles, which is like 49 K. So I actually like ran more <laughs> so that on my watch it was 50 K <laughs> and um, yeah, the one in Catalina is like 32 miles. So it's actually a little bit more, it's probably like 52 K. So, so I'll probably, but I probably will uh, run before it to make sure it's 55. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I've always thought about doing an ultra marathon. That's one of the things on my, uh, on my bucket list. I don't fancy a marathon. I fancy an ultra marathon. Uh, it's much easier. Yeah. I, I, I think that because I did a half marathon, it was horrible. It was hor- horrible. Uh, I, I could barely stand up at the end of it. I mean, I'm not naturally built for, for running long distances anyway. Like I said, I'm 200 pounds, six foot, it's not. It's not really my natural habitat. I'm
0: not either. I'm not either. I'm five eleven, and I run like a redwood tree. <laughs> yeah. I'm a terrible runner.
1: <laughs> yeah. that so, I, I I do. I thought the same. I thought it'll be easier to run further because it, you just get the groove, don't you? You get in the groove, and
0: you run slower, and then all the ultras are on trails, which is easier on your back and your knees.
1: Yeah. Duh. I mean, it,
0: I'm more sore after a road marathon than I am after a trail ultra marathon. Cause it's, it's only six miles longer, but it's, um, yeah. So like 10 K longer, but it's so much easier on your joints and, and then it's beautiful. And yeah, you don't have to run that fast, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, I run just a little bit faster than walking. Mm you know, and I like, and I stop and take pictures cause it's, you know, they've created this course, they're supporting you. There's people out there with water and then you got this great, I mean, I just, I try to run all these in the most beautiful places. Um, you know, I've done Big Sur and Jackson hole and big bear and, um, yeah, just absolutely gorgeous places that you would never get to. And then you've got people there making sure that you're okay for the 30 mile run. So. Great, great day.
1: Have you ever heard of rooking before? Rooking? Yeah, rooking. No, it. what is it? Uh, so so there's, I believe the term is the, a US military term. Uh, it's basically traveling over a long distance with a heavy backpack on. So it's something that soldiers do all the time. But it's become kind of a, an activity that other people do. So, you know, normal people basically um they strap a big heavy backpack on travel a long distance so instead of just running a distance with no weight on their back they run it with 20 pounds on the back or 40 pounds and things like that uh there's there's kind of a there's a brand called go rook they make bags basically they make rucksacks and, and and they do a lot of these rucking events um I just wondered if you'd ever tried it. I was thinking about trying it. There's a fairly famous one in the UK called uh, the Fan Dance. And it's basically the root of the SAS selection. Down in the Brecon Beacons in the UK it's where they do all the SAS selection, which is incredibly tough, ridiculously hard. And they do a, a backpack race. Basically, you've got to put a heavy backpack on. It's got to be, I think it's 50 pounds. I think it's got to be 50 pounds. Uh, I can't remember the distance but it's pretty damn far and you've you've got to run it around the Brecon Beacons which is uh, mountains basically that's that's where they do the SES selection. Uh sounds like fun. Um
0: Yeah, it do, it do, I haven't done I haven't done that but I um I went on this I went on this trail called the Alta Via through the Dolomites which is kind of like the Italian Alps. Yeah. And it was another random thing where um I was, on, I was thinking, oh, I'd love to go like on a beautiful hike. And so I went on the REI website. <laughs> Websites are going to be the death of me. <laughs> I go on the, and I see this gorgeous picture and I'm like, yes, sign up. And um, I, I don't know, it's whatever, like a, a week long walk or something like that. And, um, and then I said to my girlfriend, you got to come to this. And then later she said, did you realize how, like this is one of the hardest rated REI hikes in the world. <laughs> I said, no, I just looked at the picture and paid the mount. You know, I didn't read anything. I just saw it was a beautiful picture. And um, but the but the end of it, you basically are running f- or well, you're supposed to walk with these, yeah, with these heavy packs. Um, but it was just so gorgeous, it looked like perfect trail running. Um, and so you you have your next day clothes and things like that. I don't think mine were 50 pounds, but you basically are carrying your luggage. Mm. So you're supposed to walk. But the guy, the first day he was like, I can just see you're chomping at the bit. And you're looking at this, you know, you're looking at the terrain. He goes, I can tell you're a runner, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And, um, And then he told me like the next few turns and then I would run a couple miles ahead just with my headphones and yeah. And my, my uh, luggage basically on my back, but I didn't, I didn't know it was a competition. I just, I just thought it was really cool. Um, You know, it's just so beautiful to run. Um, But I don't, I don't think I ever ran with 50, 50, you know, 50 pounds. That sounds hard.
1: I was just, just trying to find it. It's, I, I I think it might be half, half of that for women or something Um or, or, oh
0: well then I think I have <laughs> yeah not by not on purpose <laughs> but just you know I I had I had to carry my luggage and I would wanted to go on a run so yeah <laughs>
1: here, here we here we go I've, I've I've found it so the the fan dance race series has a summer and winter edition so you can do it in oh, the nice. summer yeah do it in the lovely well horrible summer probably or horrible winter as per ses selection and it is made up of the following event evolutions load bearing and clean fatigue uh the fan dance test is 24 kilometers so that's how long it is and then there's there's another one the double tap challenge obviously it's all soldier jargon um you do two fan dance attempts, so two twenty-four 24K attempts over as many days as you want. And then there's, there's another one that's staged over a night on an enhanced route. You've got to direct yourself as well, by the way. There's nobody to direct you, so you've got to nav yourself. Or there's a bloody hell, one that's called the Black Edition, which is the fan dance followed by fan dance exercise high moon don't know what that is and then there's a rest period of several hours between the two of them <laughs> it, it it looks it looks insane it doesn't it doesn't say how heavy the pack's got to be there's, there's some um, there's some information on here somewhere it tells you exactly what you have to put in your pack there's certain things that you've got to put so it's not just a weight it's certain things to make it awkward and to make it as close to the ses selection as possible basically um yeah just just sounds sounds crazy sounds fun but yeah crazy the problem with the british weather is though you you can't predict it so you don't know whether the summer or the winter would be the worst time or the best time to do it you'd assume the weather's okay at at the minute in the uk but sometimes summer's terrible And then you just assume the winter is going to be really cold, but sometimes winters are really warm. So yeah, maybe. I
0: don't know. Yeah. It's really, uh, I went on this hike um, kind of a five day camping trip through uh, this mountain range called the wind river range in uh, Wyoming. And my guide, she was a silver medalist for the world championship for this thing where you actually run up a 4,000 foot mountain with ski boots and your skis are on your, so you have a pack with your skis and you're in ski boots and you run up 4,000 feet and then you ski down it. And your time is the whole loop.
1: And they're heavy as well. (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, plus you have all your other gear, right? So she's carrying everything and then she's, and you're running in awkward ski boots and then, and then you're skiing down in them. And that, like, yeah, crazy. And the training for it, she just does, she'll, she lives in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and she runs up the 4,000 foot mountain and skis down it two to three times per day.
1: So that's, that's running up a mountain covered in snow as well which is yes. incredibly difficult to even walk in, let alone running. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: it's, it's incredible. I mean, and that goes back to the curiosity thing, right? Like who thought of that as, as a race? It's insane.
1: It, it, it's got to be curiosity. There's no other sensible reason <laughs> why you do that, is there? Especially yeah. re- repeatedly and then not only are you going to do it in some kind of event at some point, you've also got to train. And the only way to train is to do the thing. And so, yeah, it's, that's just that's just nuts.
0: Yeah, she said to me, if she's got a lot of energy and gets up early, she'll do three rounds. <laughs> and if she doesn't, then she'll do two. Wow.
1: That's, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, she... She had both her hips replaced by the age of 32.
1: Oh, I wonder why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A little little bit of lifetime of wear and tear in the first 30 years.
1: (laughs) That's actually impressive. I bet she's got a pair of titanium hips now or something, hasn't she?
0: She does. She does.
1: So now she's like Terminator or something. (laughs) Climbing up and down that mountain and she'll just get a new titanium hips again in another 10 years time and... She'll just continue doing it over and over.
0: Yeah, yeah. You just, you wear out the, yeah, the intersection between your bone and the, and the titanium is the only thing that wears down.
1: It's, that's crazy. Anyway, we've been talk we've been talking for an hour. and just, So fun. It, it, it's been awesome. Is there any parting wisdom or anything you want to plug or anything you want to say at, at the end?
0: I think it's never too late we all got 10 minutes. Um, you can find me on Twitter. You can uh, find me on my course page, which is myhealth.mba.
1: There's so much other stuff. I think we'll have to have another discussion because you've just recently got into uh, NFT and crypto and all that kind of thing as well. Haven't you? So, I
0: got in and I got out.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's an, that's another story as well that we. we probably... Yeah,
0: yeah, and I'm going to be launching a course for um 16 to 22 year olds on uh, basically learning learning how to learning how to invest pitch by pitch. So learning how to invest by creating a 90 second investment pitch on a stock, and then doing another one and doing another one. So almost like uh, Dickie Bush's ship 30. Mm. or like your visuals of just do it every day, mm. uh, but for investing. And then I think that that'll also teach young people also how to be able to do an, a pitch if they're going to a, start a company, do an elevator pitch for themselves if they're looking for a job. Just how to, how to get to the one thing that matters for a stock, then we'll train them mentally to get to the one thing that matters for anything.
1: Great idea, because nobody's doing that kind of thing.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited, and and it's it's what I've been doing. I, I've been mentoring young people coming out of college and helping them get onto Wall Street for decades. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of take my 25 years investment experience and my 20 some odd years mentoring, teaching students how to do this, and kind of put it into an online course and community.
1: 50 years 55 years of dressage or whatever as well <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the net of it is i'm old <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're incredibly experienced incredibly inspiring and incredibly fun to talk to that's the way i would put it thank you
0: craig cheers Emma. all right thanks